Hello, friends, and welcome to the Coastline Baptist Church podcast. We hope this message will equip, encourage, and edify you in your journey of life. We'd love to connect with you. Please email us at info at coastlinecc.org. And for more information about our church and our services, visit coastlinecc.org. Now let's open our hearts and open God's Word. Well, it's good to be in the Lord's house this morning, and thank you for being here today. Um, I want to do something real quick, and Alex, if you can help me out. If you um, don't, I don't have this, we're going through a lot of scriptures this morning. We're going to breeze right through them. Um, But because there's so many, um, I'd rather have you look at it kind of either on your phone. But we have a billion John and Romans that we're trying to get rid of as well um, that were given to us before we ever moved out here. Someone made 10,000 John and Romans, and we are grateful for them. So if you're listening to this recording, we are grateful, and we are using them. But... um, we have them, and I think it'd be great to use. So, um, Alex, could you just grab a few? If you don't have, and actually, it'd probably be even better than using your phone, because using your phone, it's easy to get distracted. If you, can we just, Alex is going to pass these out. They're John and Romans, the book of John. We are going to be in John chapter 6 um, this morning. John chapter 6, um, and we'll look through those this morning. And um, and I know that you will uh, we'll, we'll get through this. This morning's message is, is it's a lot different than, than some of the past. We're finally back into John. We've been in, uh, we had open house Sunday, and then we had a, a new series on what to do when life doesn't make sense. And then Joel preached last week an amazing message on what to do when God's will doesn't make sense. All those messages are on our website, coastlinecc.org. If you missed them, I encourage you, I urge you to go back and listen to those sermons. Um, the Joel's from last week is up there. Um, the other two from the weeks before. And maybe you have a friend or a family member that's going through some things. Uh, man, say, hey, why don't you listen to this message? It's just talk about what to do in life. I'm telling you, you don't know what you can do and incur in someone's life, incur in someone else's life. Because the truth is, this life is, is challenging sometimes. We, we all face stressful situations in life, right? Amen? We face stressful situations. Every one of us, no matter how young or old you are, we go through stressful situations. And as I was preparing this message, I thought, there is, none, there is no situation that is more stressful in life than being in the McDonald's drive-thru waiting for your kids to make a choice. It's kind of a joke, but it's also kind of serious. <laughs> okay, I, I, I was, we were just, I've, I'm on like this McGriddle kick right now. Like Marissa introduced me to, Marissa's introduced me to a lot of wonderful things in life, Puerto Rican food, um, Puerto Rican people in general, really. I love the culture. I feel like part of them, really. Right, Anoa, she knows my Spanish is great. I always say, como se dice, and then I ask a word, what does this word mean? Um, but one thing that she introduced me to, I, was, I used to be so picky, church. I used to be so picky. Like, I'm talking crazy picky. Like, ketchup on the burger, that's it. No lettuce, no tomato, no mayonnaise, no pickle. I, hate, I still don't really love pickles, but I'll eat them plain, but I don't have a burger. No mustard, uh, uh, pizza, pepperoni only. Like, I was just that guy. Like, I don't even want sauce on my spaghetti. I was that kind of weird guy. And if that's you... You're also weird, so just <laughs> embrace it. But finally, like, you know, I just, my palate begins to expand once I turned, like, 25, I guess, and, and uh, Marissa was getting this McGriddle, and I'm like, what is that? Like, and I remember eating a McGriddle. How, how many have never had a McGriddle? Anybody? Oh, my goodness gracious. I'm failing as a pastor. I really am. Um, we're going to have McGriddle Sunday one of these days. <laughs> just, I'm telling you, it is this. Okay, now that you don't know, I'm going to explain it to you. In living color, because this is, this is probably more important than the rest of the message, really. No. Um, a McGriddle is an invention. I don't know. I honestly would love to meet the person who made it and just shake their hand and just give, give them a hug because it's just, oh. 
It's literally, you know how like you have a bagel, egg, and cheese, or a muffin, egg McMuffin, like there's the English muffin, or there's a croissant, and all those breakfast sandwiches. You've had, how many have had a breakfast sandwich? Anyone not had a breakfast sandwich? Okay, there we go. So I'm like, if someone had a breakfast sandwich, then maybe you should just go and get a breakfast sandwich or something. But a McGriddle is something that McDonald's created, some genius, and it's literally, instead of having like a croissant or a, a muffin, like an English muffin or a biscuit, it's literally like a pancake instead of like the roll, like for the roll. A pancake with like syrup already infused into the pancake. So it's not like all like dripping and sticky. It's, it's like a, a pancake with syrup infused in it. Now listen, they have like your egg and cheese McGriddles with sausage. I don't really like that one. That's like the pancakes and then like egg and cheese and the sausage. I tried it once. But they have just the plain old bottom of the barrel average Joe sausage McGriddle. And it's just a beautiful piece of processed sausage, more than likely. It may not even be sausage, but it tastes like it. With two like syrup infused pancakes on either end of it. And it's literally, I told Marissa yesterday, I was eating one. I said, every time I eat this, I literally want to start crying. It's that good. I'm like, this is the most beautiful thing. Like, she makes some killer meals. I don't know if any of them come close to McGriddle, really. No, I'm just kidding. Don't tell her that. Um, but, but anyway, so we're in, but we're, we're in line. And like, when we go to get lunch or like Chick-fil-A or Wendy's or whatever, it's like, all right, okay, what do you want? And really, I'm the kind of guy that's like, I'm just going to order you something and you're going to eat it. Because I don't want to ask you because it stresses me out. It's like, Brady, we're at McDonald's. What do you want, Brady? Spaghetti. I'm like, they don't got no spaghetti at McDonald's, buddy. Okay? Okay, okay? so no. Grilled cheese. They don't got no grilled cheese. Okay? Like, they got burgers and nuggets and that's what you got. What do you want? Uh, and just, uh, And they don't do it. And then they don't even eat it when you get it for them anyway. So I was thinking about about the kids making choices in the drive-thru and how stressful that is. And the truth is, church, <laughs> life is full of choices. Whether you're five years old and you want spaghetti at McDonald's and you can't have it, or whether you are 33 and you have to make a decision about where your family's going to live over the next few weeks. You know what I mean? We all have choices in life. Life is full of choices. And I think most of us already understand and know that our choices follow us, don't they? Our choices follow us. There's either blessing in making a good and wise choice, or there's consequence in making a poor choice. Life is full of choices, and choices follow you. We're going to breathe through the rest of this chapter. We're in John chapter 6. If you have a John and Romans this morning, or your Bible, uh, go to the, the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John. And we're going to jump right into it. Uh, we're going to breeze to the end. It's going to be like 30-something verses. We're going to read quickly through them. And I'll explain why we're going to breeze through them. And we're going to make some application. And this, this message this morning isn't necessarily like a story. Like before Open House Sunday, when we were still in the Gospel of John, at the beginning of chapter 6, I mean, we had two amazing stories that we went through over those two weeks. We had the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. All these 15,000, 20,000 people total followed Jesus into this, this, this mountainside, this countryside. And, and what did he do all day long? It says that he healed every single person that came to him sick, lame, blind. He healed them supernaturally, gave them healing all day long. He taught them all day long. And then at the end of the day, all these people were hungry. So what did he do? He supernaturally materialized food out of five loaves and two fishes and fed all these people and provided for them with leftovers. Amazing story. Miraculous story. After that story, 
we see that Jesus goes away to kind of get away from them and the disciples go on their boat. Jesus goes somewhere else up to the mountains to pray. And what happened? The disciples hit a big storm. We had that message on the storm and the storms of life. And the disciples were rowing for hours, not getting anywhere in the middle of that sea. And Jesus came to them walking on the water. And we know, we, we talked about the storms of life and how Jesus calls us to embrace the storm. Another amazing story with beautiful application. Now this message this morning is, is not like that. Because these last few verses of John chapter 6 is really a dialogue. It's, it's, a, it's a sermon that Jesus is preaching here in the temple in Capernaum. Capernaum is a city out in uh, the area of Israel to where his home base for ministry was. Remember, Jesus was the son of God, born in a manger. He grew up, and at the age of 30, he began his earthly ministry. So before that, he was just a regular guy. He was just a regular kid growing up, skinning his knees, playing with his friends, eating his dinner with mom and dad, working in the carpenter shop with his earthly father, Joseph. And at the age of 30, he finally hung up the, uh, uh, the carpenter's apron and put his tools away, gave his mom probably a kiss on the cheek, and went off to accomplish the work that he came to do, performing miracles, saying he was the Messiah because he was, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus came to do. So he's now in his home base. This is actually the last time we see Jesus in his home base of ministry in Capernaum, preaching in the synagogue. And we started it a little bit before open house. We talked a little bit about it. And uh, so we're in John chapter 6 this morning. And uh, let, let me just grab a few verses before we jump into the new ones. We saw um, that he said to the people in John chapter 6, uh, right around verse number... Um, when did he finish? Okay, verse number 24. Okay, no, 25. I'm sorry. They found the other side of the sea. It's John 6, 25. Rabbi, when camest thou hither? Verse 26, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you, seek me, not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. And those next few verses, all the way through verse number um, 20, uh, verse number 30, actually, and 31, these people are like, how can we do these, these awesome miracles? They didn't really care about who Jesus was, as in the Son of God, come to seek and to save sinners. They kind of missed all that. They were like, these are really cool miracles you're doing. That's awesome. How do we do those work? And Jesus is like, you're just missing it. Jesus is telling me, you're missing the point. Verse 31, um, he says, our fathers did eat, or they said, the people said, our fathers ate man in the, in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Verse 32, verily, verily, I say unto you, Jesus says, Moses gave you not the bread that from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. He's talking about himself. He came to give life, eternal life in heaven, but also hope in life here on earth. He was the answer. He was their solution. Verse 34, and again, they missed it again. Lord, Evermore, give us this bread. Like, give us this bread. We want to eat it. And he's like, oh, my goodness, you're missing it. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth in me shall never thirst. And that's where we stopped uh, before we, you know, before we had open house Sunday. That's where we ended. And these next 35 verses or so that we're going to breeze through and read quickly and follow along in there and try to, try to keep up, it's a lot of theology. Jesus repeats himself a bunch. Like he says the same things over and over again. That's probably why it's so many verses. He says a lot of the same stuff over and over. I'm the bread of life. I'm sent by my father. I come from my father. I and my father one. He says the same things over and over again. Now why does anybody repeat anything? Why? Someone tell me. You get a point across. Emphasis. 
when you repeat something over and over again, like I tell my kids, like clean your room, clean your room, clean your room, because I'm trying to let them know that, hey, I'm serious about this. It means it's emphasis. They obviously weren't getting it. It was going right over their heads, and he kept saying it over and over again. No, I'm the bread of life. It's not an actual loaf of bread. I am that bread of life. And, and through it, there's a lot of theology. And if you're not careful, um, whether you've been in church a long time or whether you're new to the Christian life, you start reading scriptures like this, and you're kind of like, this is kind of like, eh, I'm kind of missing it, missing it here. Kind of like they do. I'm, I've been the same way. But what I want you to do, I don't want you to look at, this is not a, a seminary lesson this morning. This is not a lesson on doctrine of, of Jesus is God and that's the soteria. That's not what we're doing here. This thing, I, don't, I don't want you just to see all this theological stuff. In this dialogue of Jesus Christ, there's a person. It's Jesus. It's the one we sang about this morning. He's the one speaking here. So, so we'll see what he says, but, but don't get lost in, in being confused. I don't really get it. That's okay. You don't have to get it right now. Just know that there's a man, the, the God-man in this passage speaking that for many of us, hopefully all of us, has come into your life in some way or another and wants to work in you, wants to use your life. There's, there's a person in this passage. So, so we already talked about the beginning of the chapter, feeding the 5,000, probably 20,000 total of women and children, walking on the water, calming the storm. And then we're going to jump right into these next few verses. So let's read them starting in verse 36. What does Jesus do at the beginning of verse 36, these next few verses, all the way through verse number 40? He shares his purpose with, again with his people. So let's read it. John 6, 36, 71. We're going to read the verses, talk about what it means really quick, and then make the application and be done. Jesus says, but I said unto you, remember he had just told them, I'm the bread of life, I'm the bread of life, verse 36. But I said unto you, that ye have all, you also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up. At the last day. So Jesus is saying some big stuff to these people. Remember, these are very religious people. The Jews, at this time, they were waiting for a Messiah. They had been praying and seeking for a Messiah for centuries. All through the Old Testament. And now this guy, Jesus, comes and starts telling them, like, hey, I'm here to give you everlasting life. Whoever sees the Son, him, is going to have everlasting life. And believes, has everlasting life. That's a lot to take in. Now, he, has he proven himself already? What happened at the beginning of the chapter? What happened earlier that day? He fed 20,000 people. He had healed everybody's sicknesses. He had proven himself. And yet, verse 41, the Jews doubted him. The Jews then murmured at him, verse 41. Look what it says. The Jews then murmured at him because he said, because he said, I am the bread which come down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How was it then that he said, I came down from heaven? So these Jewish people, they're like, come on, we know Jesus. I used to babysit Jesus when he was a kid. We know Mary, we know Joseph. How can he say that his father is God? That's now this, this guy. And they just, they were murmuring, they were complaining. They were kind of like, man, I don't know about this guy. They didn't believe. They doubted him. 
Before we judge them, before we point our fingers at the Jews and say, I can't believe that they doubted him. Man, they saw him feed the 5,000. Man, they heard about him walking on the water. Man, they, they saw him heal all those sick people and still they doubted. I can't believe them. How about Donald Savini, who time and time again has seen God provide for his family, that has seen God give answers to prayer specifically for specific needs, specific amounts of money that I needed when God provided. How about God uh, answering prayers for my son Seth and his progress through autism and through this journey and giving grace to us? How about God giving us a house to live in on the Cape when we had nowhere to live three years ago? How about God giving us a place to live right now uh, when we didn't know where we were going to stay? All over and over again, God has answered my prayers. And yet, you know what I still do? I still doubt his goodness sometimes. I still wake up in the morning and say, man, I wish life was a little bit different. I still look around and say, man, I can't believe that guy gets to drive that nice of a truck and my truck's falling apart. I drive by a big house and say, man, how on earth, how come I can't afford a house like that? Sometimes I drive by a little shack and say, man, how come I can't afford a house like that? <laughs> and sometimes I say, man, why aren't there more people in church today? Man, where's everybody? Man, I'm trying. Lord, I'm not doing my part. And sometimes it's in a moment. Sometimes it's when I'm standing right up here sharing the message with you when God convicts my heart like he's doing right now. Saying, before you point your finger at the Jews doubting Jesus, how about you, Donald, doubting my goodness? And Jesus says, Donald, this is not your church. This is my church. I will build it in my time. The Jews doubt. We doubt. Jesus says, Jesus says the same thing. Verse 43, Jesus therefore answered and said to them, remember not amongst yourself. He pretty much says, whether he heard them or not, because they may have been whispering, Jesus knows all and hears all. He just said, guys, stop complaining. Shut up. <laughs> Knock it off. Okay? Stop complaining. And what does Jesus do? Again, verse 44, he shares his purpose again. Verse 44, no, Jesus says, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up in the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Not, any, not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God. He hath seen the Father. Jesus talked about himself there. No one hath seen God, but Jesus had. Verily, verily, verse 47, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat man in the wilderness and are dead. He's pretty much like, stop going back to that. Stop talking about the manna. The manna was a long time ago. And if you don't know the story, back in the Old Testament, thousand years before this story, the people of Israel, the people of God, the children of God, the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness, away from God, had nothing to eat. And Moses prayed and said, your people need to eat. Your children need to eat. And God rained down food from heaven, manna. It was probably some kind of bread or something. And it would literally fall from heaven. And God fed his people for many days with something called manna. And these people kept going back there. Well, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. Jesus stopped up with the manna. Because they ate manna and now they're all dead. <laughs> I'm the bread of life. When you uh, uh, taste of that bread, you'll have everlasting life. Verse 50, this is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. And then we see in these last few verses here, we're going to read all the way through verse 59, 51 to 59, Jesus gets really real with them. And this is where it gets kind of, it can get kind of funny for people. 
And what's awesome about the scriptures is for the people listening to this story back in the Bible times, it got weird for them. And we'll see why. Verse 51. Okay, Jesus told them, stop talking about manna. Stop talking about your fathers in the wilderness from thousands of years before. That they're all dead. I'm the bread of life. I can give you everlasting life. I'm from my father. God the Father sent me down. I am the one. And then he says in verse 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove amongst themselves, saying kind of like, kind of means they got a little antsy amongst themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? They're kind of like, what is he talking about? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, listen to this, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of God, man, and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. That's some bold statements there. Kind of, can be kind of weird for people. Verse 54, Whoso eateth my flesh, drinketh my blood, hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh, drinketh my blood, dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead, he that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in the synagogue, the church place in Israel. That's where the synagogue was. So just pause for a minute, and just, just as we're finishing up now, because we're almost done. Jesus says some weird stuff there to the people listening. People talking about drinking blood. Like, think about it. We, we, I love singing the old hymn. We sang this morning, thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. If you're unchurched, someone comes in this room, they've never been to church before, don't know anything about the Bible, about God, and they start hearing you talking about, like, the blood, they're going to be like, what is this place, man? <laughs> this is a beautiful old hymn, and you may know it. There is a fountain filled with blood. And we, when we sing this song, as Christians, we're like, hallelujah for the cross, the blood that was shed by Jesus Christ on the cross saved our sins. We, we go back to the Old Testament, the sacrifices of the animals. It was the sacrifices back then that forgave them. Their sins. And there's all this to it. But if you don't know that, and you, you're standing in the pew, you're sitting next to Shai, and Shai has her hands lifted up, and she's worshiping God, and she's singing, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. You're like, what is this place? And that's what's going on here. See, Jesus is not talking about literally them drinking his actual blood. That's not what he's talking about. That's weird. I'm going to say this. In the Catholic religion, in Catholicism, they believe in something called transubstantiation. It's a long, fancy word. I can't spell it, but I can say it. I might be able to spell it. But still... This word means there's something that we're going to be doing as a church soon called communion. And the scriptures talk about it. It's when you, um, you have like the cracker and the little the juice and, and you, know, you, you, you read scriptures from 1 Corinthians when Jesus had the last supper with his, with his disciples. And he says, um, when you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you do this in remembrance of me. And, and communion is a time when we as believers, as children of God, those who are saved, members of the church, we, we look back on the cross and on Calvary and what Christ did, and we, we drink that little glass of, it's usually just grape juice, or, and then a little piece of you know, unleavened bread, a little cracker. And when you do that, it, it doesn't, there's nothing magical, there's nothing weird about it. It's just a time when you remember, you look back on, on the cross and what Christ did for you. It's also a time to reflect on your own life and say, man, 
I'm going to do this, and I need, I need to be close to God. It's just, it's a beautiful thing. We need to do it as a church. He, Christ commanded us to do it in the scriptures. Um, but anyway, in Catholicism, they believe in transubstantiation, where they believe that that glass of, and sometimes they share the cup, and maybe, maybe you grew up Catholic, and you walked up, and they fed you the wafer and things like that. They believe that that literally does turn into flesh and, and his blood. They believe that. That's a unique belief. That's not what the Bible says. It's a symbol. So when Jesus is saying, you're going to drink of my blood and eat of my flesh, he's not talking about his actual self. That would be weird. That would be not right. It's symbolism. Because what's going to happen in, a, in, in not too far from here? He's going to die on a cross and shed his blood. He says, if you don't believe on me, if you don't believe that I'm God, if you don't believe that I'm sent by God, I am God, and you don't believe in my sacrifice for your sins in just a few short months, then you can't have everlasting life. That's what he's telling them here. But again, they're missing it. He's, he's pretty much in a nutshell telling them, I'm the only way to heaven. I'm the only way to God. You, you can't do it by this, that, that. It's, that's all done. There's a new covenant. There's a new promise. There's a new way. And I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the bread of life. He's telling us, but they're missing it. Verse 5, after he says all that about his flesh and blood, it says he said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum, his home base. Everybody knew him. He'd done so many miracles there. Verse 5, I'm sorry, not, uh, point number 5. Some of his followers begin to doubt. Verse 60, as we're finishing up. Many, therefore, of his disciples. Look at John 6, 60. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? This isn't the Jewish people that didn't believe him. These are some of his own followers. Now, we know Jesus had called 12 disciples, so we can name them out. These are kind of the fringe disciples, the fringe followers that had like, been following him around, but they weren't, one, they weren't talking about the 12 we're talking about just other people that have believed on him. But Jesus says all this stuff in the, in the synagogue, and now they're like, hey, man, this is a tough one. Like, this is kind of hard. Who, who can hear it? Who, who can, like, really believe that? That's, that's a little much for me, some of these people are saying. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, doth this offend you? Are you offended by this? What and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. And then it pauses, Jesus pauses his dialogue, and we see John, the author of this gospel, say, For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not, and who should betray him. Verse 65, And he said, Therefore said I unto you, that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. Jesus is some of these fringe followers are having a hard time. Jesus says, are you offended by this? Because this is the truth. I'm the only way to heaven. And they just kind of, and Jesus knew from the beginning who was going to walk away. Jesus knows if you're going to walk away. Jesus knows if I'm going to walk away. He knows everything. And he asks him this, and he reminds him yet again, I'm the only way. The words that I say are words of life. The truth I'm telling you is truth. There's no other way. Verse 66. This is one of the saddest scriptures in all of the Gospels. It says, From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. There's an old movie quote. I don't know if you, I don't even know. I think it's from maybe a few good men or an officer and gentleman. I can't remember, but 
it's Jack Nicholson and it's, um, I don't know who the other person is, but the question is like, I want the truth. And he says, you can't handle the truth. You know that, that movie quote? This is, this is what happens here. These other followers, they just couldn't handle the truth. They're standing there in the synagogue. Everybody, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus. Yeah, man. And Jesus says, drink of my blood and eat of my flesh. And they're like, whoa, okay, like what's going on here? I don't, and they missed it. They missed the symbolism of it. And they said, this is a little too much for me. And they all walked away. Walked out the door, boom, gone. After seeing Jesus perform all those miracles. Think about that. That day, earlier that day, they had seen Jesus heal hundreds and probably thousands of people and feed 20,000 people. And still they walked away. And again, before we point fingers, there have been some of us in the room in our minds and hearts, sometimes we begin to doubt. We begin to question, man, is this even worth it? Or when, when the time comes and, and you hear the truth of the word of God, you hear something the scriptures say that is going to have an effect on your life, but the way you live your life, and you're going to hear that truth, and you're going to be like, I don't know if I want to believe that truth. Here's the thing, truth is truth is truth. There's no such thing as, that's my truth. No, truth is truth. What's true is true. What's not true is not true. That's what the scriptures say. What Jesus said is true. So when the time comes and we're in the scriptures and the, the word of God and the spirit of God begins to work on our hearts, challenging us, because listen, if you're not living a life challenged by the spirit of God, you're not living for God. If your life is not, and your heart is not challenged by the spirit of God, constantly pushing us towards growth, pushing us closer to him, to be more like him. If your life is not constant, if there's not a constant tension of the world pulling on you and Christ pulling on you the other way, if you're just kind of going lackadaisically through the world and you have no conviction at all, that is not living for God. That is not a life committed to Christ. Because a life committed to Christ will challenge us about the way we live, the things we say, the things we practice. And some of us will say, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? I don't know. And we just were going to walk away because it's just easier. So they walked away, verse 67. Jesus questions his remaining disciples. Verse 67 says, Then said Jesus unto the twelve, unto the twelve disciples that he had called, Will ye also go away? Peter says in verse 68, He answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Which is a great answer. It's a great Peter answer. Peter was so kind of emotionally driven oftentimes. People that walk, I'll come out in the water with you. You know, he's the one that started cursing and cut off the guy's ear when Jesus, I mean, he, he's a crazy guy. And he says, who else are we going to go to? Which is a great answer. And he says, thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said, have not I chosen you 12 and one of you is a devil? Now they're all sitting there like, whoa. What's he talking about? Verse 71, as we finish up. He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. So Judas is there with them. And if you know anything about the, the Gospels, you know that Jesus was betrayed by Judas. You've probably heard the, the name Judas, even if you've never been to church before, that someone that's betraying. and someone that he's not, No one wants to be named Judas, I guess, is what we can say. Because Judas was one that betrayed Jesus Christ and gave him over to the guards, the Roman soldiers, for 40 pieces of silver. And Jesus already knew that. And he says that to his disciples. One of you is going to betray me. One of you is a devil. Ooh. That's what happens. He questioned the remaining disciples. So I know that was a lot. Thanks for staying with me for those 35 or so verses. I know it was a lot. And after going through all that, seeing Jesus, what did Jesus do? Jesus said a lot in this passage, in this sermon to these people. 
those, his disciples, his friends' disciples, those who were kind of on the fence, the people that, that were just following him around to see the miracles, all the people that he preached to, they had a choice to make. They had a choice to make. They're either going to believe or not believe. They're going to hear his words and follow him, or they're going to walk away. And we saw in the passage that some did that. The Jews murmured. They complained. This is a lot, man. Come on. Some of his actual followers said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? And the church, church, you have to remember that for us, we have a choice as well. We have a choice as well in our lives. Will we follow or not? Following does not just mean attending church. Anybody can attend church. Anybody can drive here, park, get out, have a cup of coffee, sit here for an hour and leave. Anybody can do that. An atheist, someone who doesn't believe in God at all could do that. Following Christ is bigger than just coming to church. And by the way, this is not a serving Jesus is hard message. That's what I'm trying to say here. Because he is worth it. He is worthy. He is good. He will not fail you. He will not fail me and has not failed me. He does satisfy. But truth is truth. And living a life, church, living a life committed to Christ is not always a walk in the park. Living a true life committed to Jesus Christ drives us to do certain things, pushes us to live a certain way. And we have to decide if we're willing to be committed to that. Faith isn't always easy. If it was, everybody would do it. It's not always easy. We have to be self-aware. We have to recognize our own weaknesses. We don't, we don't pray like we should. We don't pray like we should. I don't pray. I'm a pastor. I don't pray like I should. Sometimes I look back at a stressful week and I'm like, man, Donald, you didn't pray really at all this week like you should have. Yeah, I may have talked God throughout the day, but man, you didn't pray really at all. You didn't beg God for help. You didn't beg God for answers. Hey, you didn't beg God to fill this building and to speak to hearts and to see. You didn't do any of that. We don't pray like we should. We don't spend time with God like we should because we're so stinking busy in life with work, with family, with fun, with pleasure. And we give God the scraps. We give him the leftovers. Hey, I finished my classes. Hey, I finished my job. Hey, I finished hanging out with the family, going out and doing this and doing that. And now I have five minutes left before I crash. And I guess I can, I guess I can listen to a good, good song or read a few verses and, and maybe say a prayer real quick and, and I'll feel good. We don't spend time with God like we should. We don't share our faith with others like we should. If, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm really not. Because I was writing these things down thinking about what I struggle with. But I'll say this at the same time. It's okay to feel a little bad. It's called conviction. And if I'm not a pastor that preaches truth where there's some conviction in the seats, then I should just retire and get out of the ministry. Because unfortunately, preaching is not always about making you feel good and encouraging you, hey, that we can weather the storms of life and hallelujah that we can. But preaching is also saying, hey, we're missing it. We're missing the mark. We're not doing our part because he's worthy of more than just a weekend. He's worthy of more than just an hour on Sunday. We don't share our faith like we should. We keep it to ourselves. We got coworkers that tick us off. We're like, I don't want them coming to my church because I work with them all week. I don't want them at my church. Oh my goodness, God help us. God help me. We don't treat others with respect like we should. That they're also made in the image of God. We treat them like garbage. We don't love our families like we should. 
We don't, we don't treat, church, treat church as something of value like we should. Man, this is, a, this is a miracle that we're sitting in today. And we don't treat church as something of value. Man, we, we just kind of show up and breeze in and breeze out. We don't sacrifice for the good of others like we should. Listen, there's a lot of non-commitment in our lives, in my life, and the sad truth is that some of us may walk away, but my prayer for Coastline, my prayer for this church, my prayer for you is that we be a church that is committed, that is committed to the truth of God's Word, that is committed to growth in our own lives and in our church as a whole, that is committed to transparency and honesty and openness, that is committed to giving, that is committed to each other for our, each other's growth, that is committed to sharing our scars and sharing our stories and sharing our weaknesses not so that we can air out all of our dirty laundry but no, so that we can help somebody else in need we need commitment church Jesus is the answer and Jesus is our hope and what will we do with him what will we do with him Jesus is asking you will you also walk away will you also go and may our answer be an emphatic no. And by his grace, we, as, with Coastline, as a church, will go to the next level. God has plans for us. I'm not going to let a low day discourage me. I can't. My wife's so good at that. She says, Donald, it's okay. It's going to be a great Sunday. And I'm like, hmm. And she's right. Because he's worthy of it all. And, and am I trying to build a church for numbers just so that I can feel good about myself or are we trying to reach people? Are we trying to see lives change through the gospel of Jesus Christ? It takes commitment from every single one of us. Commitment. Commitment. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to give. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to personally grow myself. We're going to be starting discipleship soon. We're going to be starting small groups pretty soon. We're going to be starting more, adding to it. Because listen, we need growth. And we, we listen, we've got we to gotta be doing our part. We've got to take us to the next level. I don't want to just say stagnant. No, we've got to take things to the next level. And it's going to take a great commitment from every one of us. I can't do it myself. We've got to work together. We're a team. We're called of God in this place. Thank you again for listening to the Coastline Baptist Church Podcast. We hope the message was an encouragement to your home. Please connect with us through our website, coastlinecc.org, or on Facebook or Instagram. Send us a message, send us an email, and we'd love to connect with you. We'd also love if you could visit us for a Sunday morning service. You can find our address on our website, and our services start at 10 a.m. Our mission at Coastline is simply this, to know Jesus deeply and to show Jesus daily. I hope that we've helped you do that in your life today. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.